This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we're concluding their sermon series on David, and we're going to look at David's last words. Usually, I, I preach from uh, the NIV translation, the New International Version, but today I'll be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I thought this was a little bit better on how they translate some of the Hebrew poetry. This is a challenging section, but hopefully it will be a blessing to us. Second Samuel chapter 23. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who was raised on high. The anointed of the God of Jacob the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away. For they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft with the spear. And they are utterly consumed with fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege and the honor and the opportunity to gather around your word. I pray that you would clear away any distraction, even the distraction of this preacher, so that you could speak to your people. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Are you prepared... To die. I know that's a, a startling question, maybe seemingly an offensive question. It's not a question that we like to, to discuss, especially in our modern day American culture. We, we try to ignore death as much as possible. But if there was any place that we could discuss this or should discuss the reality of, of our finitude, it should be the church. And yet still... Even I myself want to maybe ignore this very important, very challenging topic. But it wasn't always this way. Back in the Middle Ages in Europe, there used to be a a manual that was being passed around called the Aris Moriendi, which is Latin for the art of dying. And it was this manual that that was used because so many people were dying because of the Black Death that the priests weren't able to get to all the people and do last rites. 
And so there was this book that was written to help people prepare for death, the, the temptations that they would be facing, the, uh, the, the grief or the regret from their life that they might be facing, maybe the fear or the consequences, and also maybe some of the practices or procedures around the reality of death. I never heard of that book until I read another book called The Lost Art of Dying by a doctor named Lydia Dugdale. See, this doctor, Lydia Dugdale, she was noticing that in her practice, there were many of her patients that were really struggling with death and it had nothing to do with their health. It was more of an, a, a spiritual and emotional problem. She, she saw that many of them were not prepared because they were filled with regret or they were filled with guilt, or they're filled with shame, they were filled with fear, and they're all by themselves. And she noticed that because many of her patients were taking extreme, even unreasonable measures to try to avoid the topic of death. And so what she says in her book is that we need a modern-day version of the Aris Moriendi, a modern-day way of facing and confronting this reality that all of us, 100% of us, are one day going to face death. And she said this isn't just an end-of-a-life issue. It's actually very practical. In fact, the, the thesis of her book goes like this. The art of dying is really the art of living. If we can face death in a community and, and recognize the reality of our finitude, putting away all of our regret, regrets and not be in fear but live at peace as we face death, that also explains how we can live. The art of dying actually shows us how we can live each day in peace. Again, I think this is a challenging subject because many of us, we have, you know, we have so many regrets we have so much guilt. We have so much shame. We wanted our story to turn out a different way. This is not what we wanted. And so maybe we just want more, more time and we just want to ignore this issue. So are you prepared? Well, we're concluding our sermon series, David the Imperfect King. And because this is the last sermon in this series, we're actually going to look at David's last words. And They'll be under, uh, try to answering this question. How can I live in such a way that I depart in peace? How can I live in such a way every day so that I depart in peace? To answer that question, we'll go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23, uh, that opening reading. But before we do that, I just want to remind us of where we've been in this sermon series. This has to be one of the longest sermon series that I've been a part of here at, at Victory. And it's just been, I know I've heard from quite a few people that they've really enjoyed diving deep into the life of David. And let's remember some of the things we've learned about David. That even as a young boy, he was anointed the next king in Israel because he was a man after God's own heart. He had some sort of integrity or character or faith that God saw in him. And then he showed that character or that integrity, that courage when he slayed Goliath. And then he was a good friend to Jonathan we saw that he didn't take vengeance on Saul when Saul was pursuing him. We saw his heart of worship as he, he danced before the ark of the Lord. We saw him rise to fame and success as a great king in Israel. And then at the height of his success, filled with pride, 
and boredom and loneliness and a lack of accountability, he took a great fall. He sexually harassed Bathsheba and then killed her husband, murdered her husband to try to cover it all up. And after that, his whole life unraveled. His kingdom unraveled. He lost two sons. The son that was born to Bathsheba and he lost his son Absalom as he tried to rise and create a coup and overtake David's kingdom. And his life ended up in just an unraveling mess. Now, after you kind of look at that story arc of his life, as he's facing the last days, how do you think he's going to look back on his life? Is he going to look back on his life with hope and, and joy and happiness or will it be filled with shame and guilt and regret? Well, let's look. We go to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and the opening sentence says this. Now these are the last words of David. Now many commentators say these aren't officially the, the last like deathbed confession last words. Um, but these are the words that David wanted to live by. David said, you know, if this would be the, something I'd want written on my tombstone. This is what I want people to know about me and what I think. So, so this is something really important. These are kind of my final will and testament as I know I'm getting close to my impending death. And he goes on to first explain who's actually speaking. He says, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, so he, he at one time was raised on high as a great king, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the man who wrote many of the psalms, many of the, the prayers in the Bible. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, so David's saying, yes, I'm the author here, but I'm not the one talking. Uh, actually, God has a word. God is going to speak through me. I'm inspired. I've been breathed into I'm God's instrument. God is going to say something through me. And what is God going to say? When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So David here has this vision of an ideal king. And he says when, when there is this ideal king who rules justly, rightly does the right things. He uses his power not to harm people or take advantage of people, but uses his power to lift people up. Uh, when there's a king who, who honors God and trusts in God, cares more about God's glory than his own, when you have that kind of ruler, the people flourish like well-watered grass in the sun. I think after this last summer, all the, 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 the lack of rain, we know what it's like when grass, at least my grass, doesn't flourish, right? It has all the brown spots and, and it's all dried out. But when the rain comes and the sun comes out, the grass flourishes. And David is saying, when there is an ideal king 
when a king rules in righteousness, does the right thing, and he cares more about God's glory than his own, then people flourish like that green grass that's been well watered in the sunshine. And when David was young, that's the kind of king he wanted to be. As David knew after being anointed, he knew he was going to be king. After he, he started to rise to popularity, after slaughtering um, and, and winning that battle over Goliath, as he, he started to take on the kingdom and worship God in the presence of the people, he saw his success grow. He wanted to be the ideal king. And there were parts of his kingdom that he was. In his 40-year reign, there were times where David ruled righteously and did the right things and feared God above all things. And during those times, the people flourished. But we know that's not the whole story. In, in David's pride, he, he took advantage of the situation and ruined his life and, and the lives of many others with what he did to Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband and the unraveling of his life. And so again, what would you be thinking if you could not live up to this ideal, if you could not be the king that you were supposed to be? Well, this is what David says. He says, For does not my house stand so with God? What does he mean here? He's saying, isn't my house flourishing like somebody under a good ruler? Like somebody, like, like that well-watered grass? Aren't I flourishing? In other words, he's saying, am I not blessed? He looks back on his life and he says something that you wouldn't expect him to say. He says, I can't believe it. I am so blessed. Isn't my house, my family so blessed by God? And you want to say to David, David, you're blessed. Look at you ruin your kingdom. You ruin your family. You ruin the lives of some people. And you think you're blessed? Your life did not turn out like we expected. We thought you were going to start being the, the Goliath killer and then just keep going up and to the right. And it's not turning out the way you wanted. And yet you say, I am blessed. Well, he explains why. He says, for he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. He's saying God made an everlasting covenant. Covenant. covenant is a word like a promise, a contract. God made an everlasting contract with me. And what he's referring to is one of the most famous scenes in David's life, one of the most important scenes in David's life, something that gets picked up over and over again in the New Testament. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David is looking at his kingdom and his palace and all of his wealth and success. And he says, look at God made this great house for me. I want to make a house for him. I want to build a temple for God and, and put the Ark of the Covenant. God's been so good to me, gave me this big palace, this great house. I want to make a house for him. And God speaks through the prophet Nathan and goes to David and says, no, you want to build a house for me, David? No, I'm going to build a house for you. An everlasting house, a, not a physical house, a dynasty a family. And a king is going to come from your family. And he's going to be the ideal king. And he's going to rule righteously. And he's going to do the right things. And that's what I'm going to do for you. You want to do something for me? No, David. I'm going to do something very big for you. And it's going to bless all people. 
And David was so blown away by that covenant, that promise, that he said, God has put everything ordered in all things and secure. That means God ordered everything in David's life so that that covenant would be secure. That God would use the good of David's kingdom and even the bad of David's kingdom to secure that promise. That God would use everything in David's life. That's how powerful, that's how big God is to fulfill his promises. And we see that in one way, when we we look at the genealogy of Jesus, David's line that would lead to Jesus, do you know what we see in the middle there? Bathsheba. It was through the the family of Bathsheba that Jesus would come into the world, that God was going to set everything up in order. God was going to use the good, the bad, and the ugly to fulfill his purpose to bring the true ideal king into the world, the true king, the true ideal ruler, Jesus Christ. And it was secured. There was nothing that David did to screw up or could screw up God's plans, God's purpose, the story that God was writing. And so that leads David to ask this rhetorical question. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? He's saying, isn't God going to cause me to prosper like that freshly watered grass in the sun? Isn't God going to be my help and my salvation? Isn't he going to give me all of my desires, especially in the resurrection of the righteous? I have not screwed up because God is bigger. God is the hero of this story, and I just play a small part, and he's going to use it all to fulfill his plans. And so that's why David looks back on his life, and he's not filled with regret. And he's not filled with, it should be different. I wish life would have turned out different. Everything should be, he's at complete peace. David can depart in peace because he believes that God is still the hero of his story. It makes me think of a a recent documentary that just came out on Amazon Prime. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Uh, Val. It's on the story of Val Kilmer, the actor. Uh, a lot of it's home footage. She's got a whole warehouse of, of, of home footage. And it tells his story. Uh, Val Kilmer was in some pretty popular movies back in the day. He was in the 1986 Top Gun version. He was in the, that famous Western Tombstone, played a great role in that, that movie. And then he was also in one of the Batman movies. And he kind of rose to success and, and notoriety. And then he kind of became known as somebody who was difficult to work with. And he kind of got blackballed and blacklisted and people did not hire him very much for big roles anymore. His marriage failed and with his failed marriage he lost his fortune. And in the documentary, although he's about 61 years old, he looks like he's about 85 or 90 years old because now he's got throat cancer and he's got a hole in his throat and he can barely speak. And so many ways, the story arc of his life kind of follows David's story arc, this guy who rises to success and notoriety and then has this great fall. And then in the documentary, you have kind of Val Kilmer's last words to the audience. And they sound like something that even David could say. This sounds like it's straight out of scripture. He says this, I have behaved poorly. I have behaved bravely. I have behaved bizarrely to some. 
I deny none of this and have no regrets because I've lost and found parts of my life that I never knew existed and I am blessed. Pretty remarkable that a guy that can barely speak who lost so much can can look back on his life and say, I am blessed. What about you? Could you say those words? Or is there just so much regret that keeps popping up in your head, so much guilt, so much shame, so much fear, so much anger, so much loneliness that that you don't want those last days to come too quickly because you want more time to somehow clean it all up as if that were possible. Are you prepared to die? Well, how do we do that? How do we answer that original question that we began? How can I live in such a way that I depart in peace? How can you live in such a way that you depart in peace? Here's the answer. Live in the light of the sun. Recognize that you're not the hero of your story. Your rise and your fall and your story arc is not the main story that God is telling. God is the hero of the story and you just play a supporting role. And so your successes and your failures don't change the main story of history, Jesus Christ and the covenant, the promise that God made for us in him. He is the ideal ruler who's always ruled justly and made all the right decision. He's the one who always ruled in the fear of the Lord and trusting in the Lord. And then he used all of his perfection to make himself nothing. Taking the place of sinners and people who've got their regrets and their fear and their shame and their guilt, their loneliness. And he took it to a cross And there he faced the thing that all of us fear, death itself. And came out on the other side and he said, put your regrets back in that tomb. That's where they belong, never to come out again. Let go of the regrets, let go of the guilt, let go of the shame and come out into the light of the sun, the story of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is not just proving that we're forgiven, but it's also a preview of the life that awaits us, that just as he rose and his life and body and everything was put back together, our lives will be put back together at the resurrection. Your life is going to end in a happy ending. Now David's last words do end with a warning. He says, there is a way that you could live with regret. Here's the only way that you could live with regret if you stay in the darkness. If you stay in the darkness, if you don't come out into the light of the sun, if you continue to practice that evil in the darkness, you continue to to swindle, you continue to live a double life, you continue to live in the darkness, that's how we live with regret. And he talks about those people uh, who continue to live in the darkness, continue in their wickedness, don't want to come out into the light of the sun, don't want to repent, don't want to own it. He says, but worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron, the shaft of spear, they are utterly consumed with fire. Those who still have those thorns in their life that they don't want to own, they don't want to come out into the light, they'll be destroyed. And in a way that's actually comforting as well. 
Because it means that, that you don't have to mitigate justice. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to judge anyone. Come out into the light no matter what your story is. Come out to the light. Live in the light of the Son of Jesus Christ and let him be the judge of everybody else. As the author, Dr. Lydia Dugdale, says... We're going to die and we need to face it. And she says, the art of dying is really the art of living. How you prepare for death also speaks to how you live your life. If you come out into the sun, live in the light of the Son of Jesus Christ, letting him be the hero, you put away all your regrets, all your guilt, all your shame, you give that over to Jesus Christ, and you have that peace that surpasses all understanding, that's how you live every single day of your life. How you face death is how you live your life. That's what David found out. Even a guy like David who had such a high rise to to glory and such a deep fall into despair could look back on his life and say, because God is the hero of my story, I have no regrets because I am blessed. That's the same for you. Live every day in the light of Jesus, the true hero of your story. Play your supporting role in that bigger epic story. And when you discover the art of dying, facing death, well, then you can really begin to live. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, There's one thing that that we all have in common. We all are facing an end date. And so today, Lord God, we come to you. We want to step into the light. And we, we acknowledge all of our sin, all of our regrets, all of the ways that we have messed up our story. And we pray that you would use it all, the good, the bad, the ugly of our story, to further your epic story of love and salvation and resurrection Give us the peace that surpasses all understanding so we can let go of the past. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.